Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Polly Jean Harrison, features editor at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Francis Bignall and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Tyler Smith and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hello, hello, hello and welcome back yet again to another episode of the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Francis, Tyler, uh, what a week it's been. If anything, we've got Francis back, you know, that's exciting. But uh, how are you guys doing this week? Another day, another sleigh, Polly. Uh, I can't believe it's Thursday already. Uh, we've been working very hard with our fintech ecosystems coverage for September, going really, really well. We've got so many great comments to hand and the articles are looking really fantastic. So yeah, generally very happy this week. How, how about you? Yeah, all good here. You know what? I'm just really glad that Francis is back because it, it was a very sad week without him. You know, I don't know how we cope, Tyler. I really don't. I really don't know how you guys did it, but don't worry to all our listeners out there. I am back. Francis is back in the building. I've just finished moving house, which is why I was gone. And it's been a pretty interesting move. We've <laughs> we've had a few leaks from like the torrential rain that we've had. And a few things are out of place, but overall it's really nice. So yeah, I'm really happy with how things are going in my personal life. And, you know, happy to be back at work and doing a podcast with you guys. What a what a nice update! What what a we love, we love yeah. to hear it. We love to hear <laughs> wholesome it. content. Wholesome yeah, content. we like it. Brilliant. Uh, so, what are you guys going to be talking about this week, uh, Francis? This week, I'm going to be talking about the who's who of TikTok's top ten influencers. Very exciting, and Tyler. Today, we're going to be looking at the compliance platform Shield, who has just added uh, natural language processing to its offerings. We're going to be looking at how that works and what it aims to do. Fantastic stuff. And I am going to be talking about Starling Bank's new bulk payments uh, feature. But Francis, I'm going to let you go first as a little welcome back present. So let's take it away. Thank you very much. So TikTok has risen through the ranks of social media services to become the top video sharing platform in the world. Sometimes users share videos of themselves dancing to their latest hit, whilst others use the platform as an avenue to share their favorite food recipes. But in a surprising twist for the financial industry, TikTok is fast becoming the number one destination for users to learn all there is to know about money management. Financial influencers or finfluencers have become a powerful force on the streaming platform with some commanding as much as £6,000 per post, sorry, per sponsored post. Finfluencers are a key source for financial education with many in the community regularly sharing videos on how to manage money, save, buy crypto and even invest in the latest stocks. So... CMC Markets examined some of the top influencers on the social media platform, and I thought I'd just go through a few of them with you guys before we sort of delve into the impact that sort of social media really has on on the financial industry, which is kind of what I wanted to discuss with you. But the the most prominent figure is Erica Kulberg, followed by Mark Tilbury, followed by Duke Alexander Moore, and then Brandon. Schlitzcher. Apologies if I've said his name incorrectly. But all of these influencers have over 3 million followers on TikTok, with Erica Kuhlberg, in fact, reaching 9 million and earning £6,000 per sponsored post. So what I really wanted to discuss with you guys is, 
obviously the financial world has changed massively, especially since the onset of the pandemic. But I guess you don't really think of social media channels where, you know, you see these goofy little dances and stuff like that as often being somewhere that really intellectual ideas can be shared. But it does so happen that it, that is the case. So I wanted to discuss with you guys, like, is this something that we're going to see more on other social media channels as well? Or is it just sort of a, almost like a trend or, or these, these guys have sort of capitalized on something that was going really well. And for newcomers trying to get into the, into the influencer space, shall we say that it won't actually be possible anymore. Cause it's sort of like the hype has died down. I sort of wanted to get your views on it. So Tyler, I'll go to you first. Thanks, Francis. I thought this was a super interesting article. And I think that it was really nice just to do like a little bit of a roundup of like who was who and what they were doing. I think that TikTok has done extremely well as a platform. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of concerns about who owns it, you know, what they're what they're doing with their data and whatnot. But we won't go into that. I think in terms of social media as like a as a sector, I think we've really seen this rise in in finfluencers, as we should say, in the finfluencer community, as was outlined in this article. I think in 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 regards to TikTok, I mean, obviously their their videos are very easy to watch, they're very easy to access. I think it plays well on things like uh the modern day attention span, so videos aren't too long. And because of the time restrictions, it also encourages influencers to be a bit more innovative and a bit more to the point in what they're saying so I, I really think it's done well with that I think in terms of how that works with the algorithm I mean TikTok as well as other social media platforms like Instagram have a really strong algorithm so I think it's helping to show the right things to the right people I really do think that there's been a massive surge of influencers on TikTok. I mean, Mark Tilbury, for example, I think he was the second one. I, I remember when his video started and he was just like quite a small uh, sort of streamer, I guess. Um, and I think it, it really it really goes to show how interested people are in this topic. If anything, from a business standpoint, I mean, these people are earning what, like £6,000 up to £6,000 per post, right? I mean, it said in the article that Mark Tilbury could earn $1 million from, I think, posting 170 posts or something if he, if they were all sponsored. So it really goes to emphasize how important TikTok is to these companies who are willing to pay these figures to get their, to get their brands mentioned or to get their insights used, right? So I, I really see TikTok as up and up and up in the influencer world. And I think it's so interesting. So, uh, so yeah. I think you've picked up on some really interesting points there. And I think the one that sort of I was most interested in was the idea that, you know, they, their videos are so short that no, no video, I think it's, is longer than three minutes on TikTok. So to sort of cram all this information in and sort of, I mean, just looking at some of the, the posts that they have, they're, they're talking about like, don't fall for this scam and, and so on. And I think it's interesting that it, it's a different approach to teaching people. I mean, when you see these sort of like, ads on on google or posts on facebook that sort of say oh read this article talking about how you shouldn't fall for this scam i think it's very easy just to be like oh yeah it's just another classic scam you don't really bother reading it but when when you're just scrolling through tiktok especially sort of as you said like the algorithm starts to pick up on things that you're interested in you sort of just become swayed and they that these all of these influencers have a very good way of captivating 
their viewers to stick around for that entire time period. And I think that's a really interesting way to sort of see how other companies might start looking at it, sort of saying we need someone who is a very captivating individual in a small amount of time, as opposed to someone who perhaps could get something conveyed across a longer period of time, for example, in like a, a meeting or something. So I think it's a, it sort of just goes to show the changing times. Polly, what are your thoughts? So I think it's it's one of those things that's kind of obvious to say, but ob- like, you know, TikTok is very much where it's at right now in terms of social media and in terms of, you know, advertising and marketing as well. It's a huge part of that. Um, and I think, I'm, I'm sure it's quite easy to probably be quite cynical, but at the end of the day, you've got to kind of think there's always been celebrity endorsements. There's always been influencers, even though the sort of concept of an influencer as a job is a very modern thing. There's always been influencers in the past you know influencing people to buy things and celebrities and stuff like that um and i think even when we look at finance there's always been that kind of thing as well look at um, martin lewis you know he is probably one of the leading influencers i guess or the least a financial um expert who we look to for financial advice and it's kind of the same sort of thing and i think tiktok is just the 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 medium in which is currently what's being used, you know? And I don't think there's a problem with that. I think the problems come in when, in terms of like the quality of this advice, you know, like are they actually uh, giving good advice or not? Because, uh, you know, as well, though we've always had celebrity endorsements and influencers, we've also always had, oh, do you want to get rich quick? Buy my book for the five easy steps to make a million dollars kind of people so there's always going to be that middle ground and I think you know it's something I've said before on this podcast that my TikTok is full of you know these like fintech people and financial uh, people mainly about investing in like crypto mainly obviously because my algorithm is going to be slightly skewed because of the job I have but um, no I think it's an interesting topic and I don't think there's anything wrong with it but I think it's just one of those things that you just kind of have to take with a pinch of salt and make sure that it's giving sound advice and you're not just getting caught up in the idea of making money for nothing really quickly because that's kind of the the dream that some of them are selling I think I think an interesting idea of what you've just said there is this idea of celebrity endorsement versus influencer endorsement sort of this idea that someone knows what they're talking about versus someone who's just saying oh get rich quick or have you tried doing this or I don't know like what comes to mind is when you get like a, a sports personality endorsing a crypto company or something and the idea is you're going to get them involved in the company. It's going to bring in this whole new influx of people. And I think that's really not the right way of going about, especially in terms of financial education, the right way to get people involved in a in an educated way. Whereas if you get people on TikTok who know what they're talking about and can convey this information in a quick and accurate and an accurate way, then I think I think you're in the right sort of stead. But unfortunately, I think we'll have to move on. So Tyler, why don't we go to your article next? Just just on the back of what you just said, Francis, I think we I think we should start like a TikTok account or something and do some trends or some dances and stuff. It's really inspired me, you know, like, you know, <laughs> knowing us, it'll probably have nothing to do with finance at all. But um, I, yeah, we should definitely allow all our listeners to put a face to the to the voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our, uh, our anonymity will be destroyed. But you know what? It'll be worth it for the TikTok. <laughs> anyway, yes, as uh, moving on, as I mentioned in our opening, I'm going to be discussing this really, really interesting uh, new solution from Shield, which is basically like a, a workplace intelligent, uh, intelligence platform for compliance professionals. The, the company is based in Tel Aviv. 
And essentially what its development team have done is develop uh, like a natural language processing capability, which will allow banks, international banks or businesses as well, to process different languages and different dialects across multi-country communication channels. Now, first of all, I think it's really important just to mention that Shield, uh, its development team is made up of 70% women. So go women in fintech. That's what we love to hear. Um, but essentially what it was really emphasizing in its uh, statement that came out this week was the fact that uh, banks are actually tripping up when it comes to understanding local dialects. I mean, where we are in the, in the UK, uh, I'm sure you're all aware that uh, the dialects in the UK maybe not as extreme when you're looking at maybe some other languages, but uh, the dialects in the UK are all over the place, right? So if there was a bank that was working in the UK, but was stationed, let's say in Mexico, it might be difficult for them to understand dialects or understand exactly what different words mean. Um, so basically, that's what the solution seeks to resolve. So it, it will um, sort of go through different dialects and be like, this actually means this, don't think it means that. Um, so it's really, really good. And I think it's really bolstering communication channels between banks. I mean, especially as as fintech becomes ever more global and sort of um, it, it's no longer limited by borders. And especially when you're working with lots of people, uh, different people from around the world, I really think having really good communication channels is, first of all, really good for compliance. It's really good for operations. It's really good for client onboarding and just generally like running your your business at a scale, which I think is is really, really encouraging. And to be honest, I've looked over this article time and time again, and I can't really find too many down points with it. It, it said in the in the um, article that it's uh, available in Chinese, in uh, English, in French, um, and in all the Nordic languages as well. So that'd be Swedish, Finnish, and Norwegian. Um, and I, the company has confirmed that it is going to develop these. Uh, the languages uh, as it goes. But as it's just launched, I think this is a really, really good set of languages to open up with, especially given uh, the increased trade between Europe and China, for example. So I think this this service will really come as a benefit. What, what do you guys think? Should we, should we go back to you, Francis? What do you think of this? Yeah, sure. So I think the, uh, the whole idea behind it is very good because I think dialects and jargon and sort of things that you can only really understand if you're in a context or if you're in a certain culture, I think can often be a barrier and sort of slow down how quickly things can get done. So having a sort of a compliance method to sort of just reduce this and almost speed up the process. I don't understand. I don't see a world where this isn't helpful because all it essentially does, it's like having a translator in, in an interview or something like having someone there just to sort of, make sure everything is clear and to, as it says on the tin, translate. I think that is sort of a time-consuming aspect of, or it, be it only a few minutes, you know, but you have to wait for that person to translate. They have to understand. The next person then has to understand what they're saying and is, there's a back and forth. But I feel like in a, in a grander scheme of things, what Shield has done here is is going to massively help multitudes of companies who are going to look to sort of 
go worldwide and sort of i think when you're looking in the fintech industry many organizations have that ambition of well uh, maybe that's a, a generic comment maybe not all of them do maybe some are just aiming to to really help a specific population or a, a group or something but i feel like if you look at it from an objective standpoint most people or most organizations i should say usually have an, an aspiration of, of going worldwide and i feel like something like this really just helps sort of speed up that process to communicate and as we've sort of discussed before communication is one of like the most important things in the in the fintech industry when you're when you're talking about sort of expansions and and partnerships you need to make sure that everyone's on the same page and when you're doing this on a worldwide scale i think to to be able to understand dialects and jargon across multiple languages is of the utmost importance absolutely francis you've raised some really really great points there i mean it's difficult for us to almost to put it into context i think because i don't personally speak mandarin or or finnish or anything like that but you speak portuguese is that right francis and i was just wondering from your uh, point um do you think that there's a lot of disparities between what portuguese words actually mean and how they're understood and especially in in relation to fintech because you've been working on aim converse haven't you so what, what was your view on that i have yeah and in my experience with the inconverser and sort of speaking in portuguese with people from brazil specifically i have found there have been a few sort of maybe i don't want to say lost in translation moments but there have been a few moments where it if I wasn't from the region or if I, if I didn't understand something from that region, it, would, it wouldn't entirely make sense. And it's one of those things that when you translate things directly, it's like when you put something through on Google Translate when you're in school and you're trying to like do your French homework really easily and you stick it all on Google Translate and put it out the other way and the teacher's always like, oh, you've got it all wrong because it, the direct translation doesn't really go well. And especially in the fintech industry, there are certain aspects. Admittedly, there are certain aspects which are the same, which do make things very helpful. But when you're when you're talking, you really have to understand sort of all the little wins and outs of the conversation, I think. And I have found that it has been a little bit challenging at times, or it would be if I didn't understand, you know, the local dialects, for example. Well, Francis, look no further than Shield's new solution. Polly, what's your what's your opinion on this? Yeah, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything Francis just said. Um, you know, we're really witnessing a, a huge shift in how we communicate and how, you know, banks and businesses communicate. And I think having a solution like this is just going to be so helpful to a lot of different things. And I think what we always talk about as well when we think of like artificial intelligence and things like that is like accuracy. And I've had a lot of conversations in the past with people working in the space about how sometimes it is hard to be accurate and when it's accurate it's hard uh, also to sort of sift out some bias because AI is is biased whether we like it or not and a lot of people are working to change that and I think this will definitely help because like you were saying Francis you know there are some things that don't necessarily translate into other languages unless you know you you understand the inference or the subtext of something and so having a solution that can understand these dialects and these differences in and communicating I think will go a long way into helping get rid of sort of some of that bias and really just breaking down certain barriers of communication that we're already having uh with AI so I think yeah I think it's a really brilliant solution and it's it's very it's really interesting as well it's something that I don't think you'd think of at least it's not anything that I had sort of thought of before but no really really sounds good 
Yeah, you're right, Polly. I haven't seen too many solutions like this one that specifically target different dialects, uh, and especially in terms of of uh, business jargon and fintech jargon. I think it's it's going to go a long way. So uh, yeah, well, well done, Shield. <laughs> what have you got in store for us this week, Polly? Thank you, Tyler. Yeah, so um, I wanted to talk about Starling Bank and how they've added bulk payments to UK business banking accounts. So Starling has developed a two birds, one stone feature that will allow small businesses to make bulk payments to multiple recipients at once. Uh, So this feature has been launched by the bank to process payments at scale for businesses and facilitate multi-volume transactions. Uh, So this is a subscription service which will be offered to the bank's UK online business banking customers uh, for £7 a month, and it can be applied to payroll, staff reimbursements, expenses and supplier payments. Um, And so I just thought this was quite an interesting thing to launch. I haven't heard of um, another challenger bank slash neobank offering bulk payments. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, And so Starling established its business banking services four years ago now, and small businesses in the UK account for 48% of employment and 36% of turnover in 2021. So this feature really, you know, they're aiming to save business owners a lot of time and effort when making frequent payments to multiple recipients while trying to help businesses grow. Um, And so this feature is just kind of aiming to support customers needs for making regular payments to multiple recipients so that's pretty much the long and short of it but I just thought it was a really interesting concept and one especially when we're thinking about things like payroll um, and expenses because there's quite a lot of fintechs out there I say quite a lot there's a few fintechs out there that are solely um, sort of in the space of providing payroll solutions to small businesses Uh, zero for example uh, they provide uh, payroll solutions to a lot of small businesses and small and medium businesses as well. So I thought it was interesting that Starling was kind of trying to go for that kind of thing. I don't know. I just thought it was very, very interesting. Uh, what did you guys think about it? Uh, Tyler? Thanks, Polly. I thought Starling have done a really great job on the, on bulk payments. I think uh, it'll be a highly in-demand service from the UK's SMEs. I mean, it's done so well to to um, consolidate so many different businesses under its uh, platform. So uh, well done, Starling, in, in the short space of four years as well. I think away from Starling specifically, I think bulk payments are, are good because they they streamline payments and make the whole thing sort of quite easier. But I also think that maybe it might increase risk risk of error if you're pro, like sort of relying too much on the technology just to make the payments. I sometimes think that it might be better to do the payments one by one just to make sure that they're at the actual right amounts. I mean, that's that's me like really picking at the pipes there. Because um, I, I do see overall this being a really beneficial s- service to SMEs. And I think that, you know, especially in light of inflation and rising business costs and gas prices and electricity prices, I think it's going to prove to be a very popular service. Um, and especially in terms of the fact that it's also a subscription service as well. So, you know, you can easily opt in, opt out of using it. It's uh, seven pounds, I, I think the, the cost was. So, yeah, a round of applause for, for Starling on this one. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you've hit the nail on the head uh, with all of that, Tyler. Francis, what did you think about this? 
I think the the feature itself is very, very helpful because it sort of helps, as Helen Burton mentions, it can really help anyone sort of from a first employee or freelancer to a company that is fully fledged and has a few hundred employees. It, it really is a sort of a multi-purpose feature when it comes to the, the type of business. The one thing that sort of I found interesting was this idea that it is a subscription service. Because I just, we've seen a lot of things come through in our inboxes about subscription services being on the decline. And that's more specifically in the consumer space, not really the business space. But I'm sure there's got to be an overlap of, to a certain degree. And especially with sort of like all the, well, I suppose, financial uncertainty that's happening at the minute. You know, people are really starting to consider do I need subscription services? Like, what can I really cut out to sort of make end meets now? And I think that that does roll over to businesses to a degree, maybe not to the same degree as a customer, but I think it it, it must to a certain extent. And that, that's what I really found interesting is that there's, despite that, the that Starling are confident in, in rolling out a subscription, a new subscription service. I just, I think it will be one to keep an eye on, see how it does. That's a really interesting point and one that I hadn't actually considered. I I completely glossed over the fact it was a subscription service. And yeah, I think you've raised some some really interesting points there. And I wonder I wonder why the choice for that was made purely I guess cuz a fee needed to be charged for it and the easiest way to do that is via a monthly subscription. Um but that no that's a very interesting comment um on subscription services. Um but anyway, thank you so much uh, both once again for bringing those stories to the table. If you'd like to hear any more about some of the news we've talked about today or any other news and insights from the fintech world, head on over to the Fintech Times website uh, where you can read all sorts on there, including our fintech ecosystems um, features this month. So anyway, let's move swiftly on to what I learned this week. So each week, so much new information about the fintech world across our desks that we just learn new things all the time. And we just wanted to share that with our listeners. So Francis, what did you learn this week? Well, it's not really been a week in work for me. So I haven't admittedly learned all that much other than, I suppose, who the, t- the top 10 influencers are, really. Um, it's been it's been a, uh, an interesting week, as I said, moving house. So unfortunately, I haven't had much time to, to delve into the, the fintech world too much. That's fair. Thank you for your honesty, Francis. You know, so we don't we don't always learn things all the time, so that's fine. Uh, Tyler, what did you learn this week? Well, this week I was looking at uh, something called that, that cropped up that I hadn't actually heard of before. It's called a divestiture, and essentially what that is is when a company grows uh, and it, it finds out that it has too many lines of business. Maybe it's bitten off a bit more than it can chew. It gathers its assets or parts of its assets to sell to another company. And in doing so, raises capital and allows the company to remain profitable and to grow. And this is actually in specific reference to an article that came out this week in regards to ACI Worldwide, who had uh, just done a a divestiture of its corporate online banking solutions uh, to one equity partners. So, so yeah, that's that was uh, on my on my radar this week. What about you, Polly? What I learned this week, uh, in a similar vein to your article, Francis, is that Conor McGregor has become the newest fintech brand ambassador. Uh, so the former UFC featherweight and lightweight double champion Conor McGregor is now a brand ambassador for the retail trading ecosystem Tiger Trade. 
Uh, and again, it's just another example of sort of endorsement, celebrity endorsement um, and things like that. I just I thought that was interesting because that's a name that I recognised because sometimes we get emails uh, with names I do not recognise, which just goes to show you how um, behind I am on pop culture. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much again uh, for joining me today, guys. It's been really interesting to chat to you and yeah, I'll catch you on the next one. See you influencers later. <laughs> catch you on the next one, guys. Happy to be back. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.